the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are around the world, where you're, the, you're listening on the radio or on the podcast, a warm welcome to you. You're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories, and my name is Julian Gibb, but enough about me. Today we're here, we're blessed to have Russell, Russell Stendo Jr. So welcome to the show, friend. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, and uh, hi to all the listeners. Now, um, uh, for those who don't know, Russell uh, is kind of the dynamic duo, really. There's Russell Sr., and then there's Russell Jr., and... uh, I spoke with his father uh, about two years ago, I believe, and he was telling me about the number, the uh, sixth time that he was uh, kidnapped, and uh, he got the Lord gave him a book to write, and so uh, quite 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 an impressive couple. But uh, brother, you you in your own right, not standing on your uh, father's coattails, are uh, well. I'm not going to I'm not going to embarrass you by praising you, but uh, you yourselves have a, a wonderful mission going on. And so, first of all, you know, yeah, you, there's many things to you. There's Colombia, Venezuela. There's the movies. Um, but let let us start first to, first and foremost, and tell us a little bit about your your time in Colombia. Yes, I I grew up, I was born in Colombia and I grew up there and I went to a very nice um, missionary school there and I was brought up, you know, fearing the Lord and learning about, you know, the Bible and the Lord and and I always had the example of my parents. Um, they, 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 their ministry was to go out to the hardest parts of Colombia and Venezuela and preach the gospel and put up uh, Christian radio stations and uh, distribute literature and Bibles and, and all this stuff to red zones in, in Colombia. So I grew up with, with all of that and uh, sort of the Lord was preparing me for, for, you know, my, my life to become there, just uh, uh, working down there in Colombia. Yeah. And so what, what, what is it you do in Colombia? So I'm right now, I'm, uh, uh, our ministry is called Colombia para Cristo or, or Colombia for Christ. And, and I'm a um, co-director um, in, in Colombia. They call it co-pastor, but I'm not a pastor. <laughs> it's co-pastor for the, for the ministry part. But it's, uh, it's kind of like just a co-director with my dad. Um, and we handle 
the whole ministry down there in in Colombia. So uh, there's Bible distribution going on into Venezuela, and there's um, Christian radio stations, and we also sponsor um, and help uh, persecuted Christian uh, indigenous groups all over Colombia. So we we manage a lot of stuff there. I mean, you, you say these things very calmly, you know, just like, you know, when, when we're helping persecuted indigenous Christian groups, uh, when we're uh, taking Bibles into Venezuela, I mean, it's uh, maybe, you, you, you know, you, you've been raised with this, you know, it's like get up in the morning, have a bowl of cereal, go and rescue some people from Venezuela, you know, uh, come back, do the dry cleaning. So, uh, but, but, but put this down to my level, you know, so... Um, Tell us, first of all, a little bit about how, how you've been serving the uh, indigenous groups. You know, what, 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 what's the situation there? You know, it doesn't sound um, too, uh, too, uh, too rosy. So, I mean, tell us the little situation. What, what's going on and, and how, are, how are you and the organization assisting the people there? One of the things um, that we've seen in Colombia is there, there's a lot of different indigenous groups and they all hold their, their own religious beliefs and they have um, all the stuff that they worship. But uh, sometimes when, when some of the indigenous people become Christians, they are kind of, um, you know, uh, persecuted for that. They, the, the, the Indian leaders don't like, don't like when people, when some people of their own tribe become Christians. So, it can be just um, kind of shunning them from the tribe, or it can be even uh, persecuting them and um, uh, torturing them even. So a lot of the, uh, the Christian Indians that we've seen, some, not all, but some have, uh, you know, the scars to prove um, where they've been tortured and, and because they left their their. Um, original faith or whatever it was in the in the in their tribe so um, we've come in contact with whole um, uh, you know small villages 80 families and and each one of these families can have you know four five six kids so um, 80 families that were persecuted they weren't given uh, the aid by the government that each tribal leader gets for for their tribe and um, and they were all the kids were uh, not; they weren't given the schooling that the that that they're supposed to be given, and um, they were um, shunned and 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 kicked out of their village. And so they, when we found them, they were just living under um, plastic bags and in a very small area, um, and it was just very, it was very sad. And. Uh, I'll, on that trip that we, when we found these, these uh, persecuted indigenous Indians, there was um, some people from Finland that just, uh, you know, were heartbroken. And um, along with them, they, they said, well, what if we bought them land? So um, they bought them a nice uh, piece of land out in the jungles of Colombia. And we were able to get them, bust them all into that land, all these persecuted Indians into that land. And um, in 20 days, they all had uh, little huts that they had made from the from the lumber, from the land. And, um, and then in a year, they were self-sustainable. They had their own farms going. They were, um, they were making their own food, selling enough to 
selling the food that they were they were growing and um and then in now it's been more than 10 years and they have uh, their own little christian school where they where they have um uh you know k through 12th grade and they teach all their kids got uh, you know uh under uh christian tutelage you know they 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 teach them um christian based things and and now even the the people that used to persecute them send their kids to that school because they know it's 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 a better school and they they're going to get better better um education and the the same people that were persecuted when when we found them we they asked that these finland these guys from finland asked them like what do you guys need because they felt so bad for them they said what do you guys need and these indians said well what we do we would want is bibles and literature so that we can go evangelize the people that persecuted us and so that was their whole thing and for 10 years they did that we we supported them with uh, literature and bibles and they would go and be missionaries to the own people that used to persecute them. So, and now they, they're the ones, whenever there's a food shortage or whatever, the, the people that used to persecute them go down to their village and buy food from them. And they send their kids to their school. And it's, it's just amazing what the Lord is doing. And we have, um, we have a, a few communities like that all over Colombia, like uh, three, I think. So, th- uh- unpack this a little bit because <clears throat> these people have been raised in a community um they've then had a a, a connection with jesus christ and uh, they've they've uh, decided you know we, we need to follow this this christ uh mm-hmm. but as a result of that they lose their homes they lose their community perhaps members of the family shun them uh, and as you said, in some cases, you know, there's there's violence. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it, this isn't a trick question. What kept these people strong? You know, one one time, one month, they're uh, integrated within the community. You know, the next minute, they're out sleeping under plastic bags. What was it that kept them strong? You know, through that. So, one of the guys, one of the leaders there, um, his his name is is Marco, and. Man, he is he's amazing. And his fortitude and his just um, faith in in God and in Christ. And um, he he really he I don't know, I think the Lord really appointed him as a leader of that persecuted group of Christians because um, he pulled everybody together and and all the all the other Indians that were that were persecuted and, and, and shunned and emotional abuse and physical abuse and a bunch of other stuff. And he, he kind of just, you know, became the leader to all of them, but giving them the freedom also to, um, to explore their relationship with the Lord. Mm. And that's what, that's what they, they all have. Like you, you, you talk to anyone of that tribe and they, their relationship, their personal relationship with the Lord is just, is just amazing. And, And they'll tell you how, how it was just the Lord that got them through the whole thing because they knew, they knew they couldn't, you know, it wasn't possible for, to, for them to stay in the, in the tribe, but, um, but they knew that the Lord had them and it's, and, and, and they were convinced of that. So I don't know. It was, it it was the Lord for sure. It was the Lord a hundred percent of the way that kept them through, through everything. And, And now, and now the, uh, 
communities coming to them for education and yeah. and they're able these persecuted people are able to serve their persecutors and show yeah. them i mean i mean it's just wonderful you know uh when i speak of it you know of, of people putting their faith into action uh but it, th- this is it in the flesh as it were reincarnate christ you know in the sense of living through these people as jesus was on the cross you know saying saying forgive them forgive those who who've persecuted attacked me and and clearly these these brothers and sisters have done it themselves you know it, it can be done in the power of christ and here's Examples, and I think of another one of uh, <clears throat> a brother Simon uh, in Rwanda, and obviously we all know of the the situation in Rwanda a couple of mm-hmm. decades ago. Well, um, uh, he is now there teaching the children of the people who killed his family. Oh wow! You know, That's and awesome. again through Christ, just mm-hmm. you know, we're, uh, the human condition is one is to annihilate those who attack us. You know, mm-hmm. not to love on them, and yet. You know, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And yet, and yet we see the triumphs that come through these people in Colombia. So that, that's so encouraging, you know. And that in and of itself is more than enough for, sh- for a show. You know, you and I could talk about the weather now. We're done. We're good, you know. And it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's yeah. not. Let's not. Let, let's talk a little bit about your role also in Venezuela. Yeah. Uh, so another part of our ministry, and um, this right now is the biggest part, is we're sending we're trying to send three million bibles into venezuela and so far we're we're just shy of a million um bibles and my dad is actually out there right now trying to get the bibles through into venezuela and um and they're very nice bibles they're very um they're you know we try to make them with a big font so that um, people can read them without glasses because you know over there there's there's not a lot of there's a shortage of glasses and stuff so um so we've we that's what we're working on right now it's a it's a tough uh it's a hard thing to get them all the way to the border of colombia and venezuela and and the colombian and venezuelan border is is probably one of the most dangerous uh borders in the world because there's so much um drug trafficking human trafficking um, illegal mining, um, and just terrorist groups. And it's just, it's just not a very good, nice border, but the Lord has made a way for us to, um, transport Bibles through there. And, and we try to hand out a Bible individually, um, to each person that comes, uh, seeking for one. And, uh, we've had, uh, um, conferences where people, uh, say that they've traveled, um, for a month to to get to this conference to receive their Bible because um, some uh, there, there's a there's a shortage of Bibles in Venezuela that it's not openly uh, it's not like an open persecution like in a lot of countries like uh, North Korea or, or something like that but it is um, while the government says that they are okay with having Christians there um, they also haven't printed any Bibles for the twenty years. And so a lot of the Bibles that used to be there are well-worn and, and, and falling apart. And um, we've seen uh, churches, entire churches, with just either the pastor only ha- has the only Bible or he doesn't even have the Bible. And what they do is if they remember a verse, they write it on this big blackboard. And, and that's, how they have, that's how they have the Word of God. They just have a blackboard with, with a bunch of verses that people know or memorized over the years and 
and these uh, churches are just booming. Sometimes in, in some places of Venezuela, there's uh, a few churches where they, they don't just have, you know, uh, one or two services on a Sunday. They have almost every, t- every day one or two services. So it's, it's uh, and, and, all, and it fills up from, with different people. And all these people don't have a Bible. And so what we wanted to do was at least have every Christian family have at least one Bible. So, so yeah, that's what, um, that's what we're doing. That's what the Lord has us doing. And, and it's been successful so far. We've, we've reached almost a million Bibles and, and we hope to do the next two million. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- I'm thinking back in my own country in England, you know, like in the middle ages, uh, mm-hmm. where you had uh, King Henry VIII, you know, in Tyndale, and his big expression was, you know, the Bible in, in every man's language, so that the Bible, uh, men, women, children could, could read it, you know, have access to it. You know, and here we are uh, 500 years later, you know, uh, obviously it's written in their language now, but access to it. You know, and, and, and for myself, you know, it, I, my, I got a shelf packed with different versions of the Bible. You know, I've got a computer which can do all these mm-hmm. sorts of tell me the word in Greek, you know, and its context yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And, and yet uh, we're talking about people here with mere verses written on a blackboard and yet are so alive in the spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so just just that hunger for Christ way outweighs the number of Bibles you have on your shelf, you know, and just so so impressive. And so so what what about those listening who are saying, wow, you know, how how do I help? I mean, how do I get involved? Is there a, a website that you have regarding this uh, where people can uh, pray for you about or if, if the Lord prompts them, donate to? Yes. Um, so one of our... Uh our partner ministry up here in, in, in the States is called um, Spirit of Martyrdom. Mm. And they, they, they have a way for, for anyone who wants to help or, or, or um, get more information on what we're doing in, in Colombia. And our, our, the, the, the name for this project is called Bibles for Venezuela. And if you go to www.spiritofmartyrdom.com, you can find information on us, which is the Latin American part of the of, of their of their ministry, and um, they manage all that has to do with Bibles of Venezuela, Bibles for Venezuela, and um, information on that. And if you give Spirit of Martyrdom a call, they are very nice people, and 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 they'll give you more information about it. Amen. So Spirit of Martyrdom dot com. Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, uh, yes, they are nice people. I know David, the executive director, yeah. and uh, he's, he's a powerhouse himself. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, so brother, when you're not uh, smuggling Bibles past cartels, uh, <laughs> when you're not uh, helping unpersecuted people in Colombia, uh, what else are you doing? So we just, um, we just got done filming a movie, <laughs> and it's a movie in English. And I know that sounds like way off topic, like, <laughs> but um, it's a it's a movie about uh, a revival that happened in the turn of the century, eighteen hundreds to nineteen hundreds, in northern Minnesota, about this guy called Frank Higgins, and he used to do a lot of what we're doing right now, but back in the day, and on his back and through the snow and walking and without vehicles or planes or boats or whatever, 
but he used to go um, over to the uh, lumber camps um, in northern Minnesota in the snow and preach the gospel to the lumberjacks that um, that used to be there. And there used to be about 30,000 of these lumberjacks that nobody liked. They just kind of treated them as cattle and as um, oxen and or even worse than cattle and oxen. And um, and so it was kind of a part of the population that nobody really cared about. And Frank Higgins just felt like he needed to preach the gospel to them and help them. And he, um, uh, you know, went out into the wilderness and, and, and preached the gospel. And not only that, but he he would um, help anyone in need. So if, if anyone was sick, he would um, take them back to town. He would either um, he had a dog sled. Uh, team and he would um, had a little ambulance so if anybody needed to go to town because they were sick they he would put them on the on the sled and and take them to town and um, he would uh, hike with bibles on his backs bibles and hymnals on his back out to the woods and and preach the gospel to all these lumberjacks and it's a part of the history of the U.S. that's forgotten but we wanted to to make a story about it so we just got done doing that. I'm I'm guessing that uh you know he he didn't go out there with bibles and uh hymnals and and go up to these you know hard working no doubt rugged uh gentlemen there and they just spontaneously convert to Christianity on the spot was was this was this like a long uh, hard struggle I mean t- tell us a little bit about his his, his mission. Yeah, he was he was a character. He was uh he was he wasn't very tall, uh, but he was pretty strong. And uh, other other preachers that tried to do what he did, you know, they would get made fun of, and and the lumberjacks were just a rowdy crew, and you know they didn't they didn't they weren't going to respect anybody that that didn't stand up to them. But Frank Higgins, he he stood up to them in a few occasions and um, threw a, a few of them out into the snow when they got too rowdy, and so. Um, he quickly uh, won the respect of all these men. And, and not only that, but he actually cared about them, genuinely cared about them. And, and he, he really felt a burden for them. And, and that's what made the difference. That's what made him, um, that's what made all those lumberjacks just accept them as one of their own. And any place that he went, you know, all those lumberjacks just accepted him and accepted his message. And, and there was a big revival because of it. So he had the fortitude, but he, he he sought to to see it to the end as well, not 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 to quit. But I think yeah. as well that that word you said of he cared for them, he loved them, you know. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're uh, you know sort of the you know the rugged the rugged kind of a guy, you know. Love is still love, you know, and yeah. you know that you can trust your buddy. You know, I was talking um, uh, two two weeks ago to. Uh, uh, a Navy SEAL, you know, in the U.S., and uh, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a real, real rugged. You know, he he, he could crush yeah. me with two fingers, you know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, love, lovely guy, but no nonsense, you know, mm-hmm. and and yet, you know, you could still. He was telling me about how he would be at the sides of his his uh, his, his brothers, those that he was in training with, you know, in the middle of the night. You know, there was this real love bond. You know, I didn't use the word love, yeah. but this bond, and so. I think you know for 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 me as well it's good to remember that fortitude persistence brought to life with love 
is mm-hmm. what makes people pay attention. It's yeah, it's it makes it genuine. It's yeah. people people respond well to to being genuine. And when you're genuine, you can you really can win the hearts of a lot of people. Oh man. And so uh what well what what what's the film called? So the film is called The Parish of the Pines. And uh yeah, we just released it. Well, it hasn't been released to the public yet, but we just finished it and we're doing pre-releases all over the country and if anybody wants to um host us in the United States, um and host a showing of the movie, they can get in contact again with spiritofmartyrdom.com and, or, or Spirit of Martyrdom, and they'll set it all up for, for us. But um, we can fly somebody from the crew out and, and show the movie in your uh, local theater or church or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. And what part do you play in it? So I play the part of Frank Higgins. Ah, it was a hard part to play. <laughs> I'm not I'm not rough in like how Frank was. But... Oh, come come. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but he but um, it was a lot of fun to do it, and and it, I learned a lot from it. Yeah. Well, brothers and sisters, those listening, you've been listening to the Kingdom and its stories, and we're as I say, blessed to have Russell uh, Stendhal Jr. And do do go on the website spiritofmartyrdom.com to learn out more learn about more about bibles uh, being taken to venezuela and hoes in colombia are being helped and a whole lot more but wherever you are may the lord guide you and keep you and bless you as you seek to serve him jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me next monday at 5 30 p.m on faith talk 1360 We'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.